Hello and welcome to Hot Games in Your Area, a comprehensive guide to the tabletop games hobby for virgin and seasoned gamers alike. I'm Courtney. I'm Davey. And I'm Rob. These games are desperate to meet you, so let's get started. Today's topic is role-playing games, which means we're actually moving away from board and card games, and we're exploring another area of the tabletop games hobby. So we're going to start our discussion by establishing a definition of what role-playing games are. A role-playing game, or for the sake of our sanity for the rest of the podcast, RPGs, is a game where players assume the roles of characters in a fictional setting. Players will act out roles within the narrative, sometimes literally acting like, you know, uh, as you would when in like a scene or a play or a movie. Well, like voice acting. No, people get expressive and can move around during it. I've even Right, with, but even, it's not like, because that's a different thing, LARPing. Sure, but a little in a way. I often get very animative when I'm just speaking. It doesn't mean I'm LARPing in my real life. Yeah, it's... <laughs> well, no, of course not, because you're not <laughs> playing a character. Oh, I'm playing Rob all the time, 24-7. It, it's not quite, quite voice acting either, though. It, sure, it, it falls sure. somewhere in the middle, uh, even even when you're not LARPing, because I've never LARPed before, but I, I, I'm not just sitting in a booth. <laughs> sure. You're with people. Sorry um, for the uh, detour. Sure. No, um, well, you know what? No, but, but I think more the point of that is that if you think about voice acting too, it's all cut together in the end. Right. Whereas right. this, you are acting a scene. Right. Yeah. There's um, an element of improvisational performance. Oh, um, yes. So actions taken will pass uh, and fail based on a system of rules normally specific to each individual RPG, but similarities between RPGs, or what we're probably going to call systems a lot, is quite common. So even though you're acting a lot of this out, uh, things like saying, I want to punch the guy, or if you're lying to the person... You have to set boundaries on, well, is the person you're playing or the character you're playing actually a good liar? There's rules right. for that and rules for that. Mm -hmm. And are you actually strong? And there's rules and roles for that. So and, yeah. the rules generally come down to, does your character end up getting what they want? Are they going to succeed at this particular goal? Correct. Or, or more fun, fail at what they want. Right. And the way that most of this is done is uh, generally in RPGs by dice. Uh, there are some differences and some standouts that don't use dice, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, generally, dice is going to be the essentially random number generator for uh, whether your actions are succeeding or failing. So, what do we like about these role-playing games? Uh, what makes a good role-playing game? For me, I really enjoy collaborative storytelling in a lot of different forms. I, you know, did a lot of theater from when I was a little kid all the way uh, through, like, college and after college. Um, so for me, when I first got into tabletop games, I initially got into role-playing games because sitting around a table with your friends is a lot cheaper than renting rehearsal space. So that was sort of my entry into the hobby in general. And as for what makes a good RPG, I think, uh, Davey, you and I came across this point recently when we were talking about Genesis, the generic system sure. from Fantasy Flight, that... For me personally, I really like RPGs that have a strong connection between the the theme or the genre or the tone that they're going for and the actual mechanisms of the game. I really like it when the mechanisms reinforce the tone that you're going for because it just feels more immersive to me. Yeah. For me, it's it's character development, and that is the really king of everything. This The story of like an overall campaign is almost second. I care about more how the characters are growing throughout it, and, you know, a good story might inspire character development and should, but you also, like, you can wing a lot of it and still leave it to the players to just watch their characters grow. It's really the only reason I play RPGs is to see each character's individual story. I think that's so cool. And playing a character and getting to see them and other player characters grow and change is so cool to me. Um, seeing where the worlds take them or watching them being them, watching them, watching them while being them as they develop <laughs> is just this awesome experience of escapism for me that really is lacking in pretty much all other games in the tabletop hobby. Sure. There are very few things that aren't RPGs, very few games that aren't RPGs that make you so invested in your character. You know, I've, I've played Zombicide and you have a character and when they die, you're like, darn, but 
once you start role playing, there's there's a little bleed over that happens between you and your character, and you start to empathize with this fake character you start to feel emotions and i think that's really cool i think especially when you create the character from the beginning because yeah. you're making all those decisions yeah Ooh, well, and well, you're this is good keep going yeah i mean i i think that produces um even more attachment because it's something that you created oh i've always felt the most attachment to my characters when i know i've created them from entirely and they're part of me even oh this is so cool because i just feel the opposite it's all yeah. based on the system i chose yeah which is great yeah yeah we're gonna that'll we'll, be a we'll good get there i'm not gonna point. spoil it <laughs> for me the biggest is the ease of access to an immense amount of just entertainment entirely uh often when we have customers come into our board game shop we get asked what is the like hours i will get out of this game until i become so bored i never want to see it again and they vary from game to game, but overall, a role-playing game costing somewhere around fifty to sixty dollars for a right. single book, can... or even just twenty dollars, yeah, for or you know, or less on, if like, you get a PDF or something. Yeah, on Drive Through RPG, a great site to get role-playing game systems. They're not paying us. Don't mention them. They're no. They're a good site. <laughs> we mentioned a lot <laughs> of companies. This is a joke. They're they're a very good site. The point. We're is not going to get any sponsorships if we no. don't start plugging these yeah. people for free <laughs> no, initially. No. Then they know they're going to. And then we hold it over their heads. You know, (laughs) we we start the hype rolling and then we send them an email and say, look, we're not going to give you this hype anymore. (laughs) And they're going to email back and be like, who are you? (laughs) Yeah. Because no one knows we exist. Hi, listeners. So for Rob... Uh, with RPGs, you're saying it's uh, it's like the bang for your buck kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. Campaigns can last upwards of several months. Uh, I had a campaign that I ran myself go for almost two whole years, which was great fun for me and the people I played with. It was wonderful, and I cannot And people say... definitely play campaigns that last oh, way longer than yeah. that, too. The two whole years, are we talking about the, the Legends group you had? Yeah. No, you're, you're off what on your it? timeline was because she was pregnant for all of it. Oh, yeah. So, no, you see, you also forget that she left and didn't come back. Okay. So she there was a point when she stopped coming. Probably because of the pregnant. Probably because of the pregnant. Yeah, or I get that. Or not anymore pregnant. And so now a baby. Probably, yeah, but we never yeah. saw a baby. So as far no. as I know, she's just indefinitely pregnant. Forever and ever and ever. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen her without the belly, so it has to still be there. Uh, uh, obviously. That's yeah, how no, that's works. how that works. Yeah. If a baby's born in a forest... Does what? anyone know it was born? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we can move on to our systems that we are choosing to exemplify um, today. Why don't you lead us off for that, Courtney? Um, do we want to do Rob's first? Sure. Oh, are, are, yeah. we, are we? We're switching everything. Yeah, I'm lost. I have no idea what's going on. I'm not prepared. <laughs> Just scroll down. Oh god. <laughs> so, um, so Robert. What game are you going to tell us about? Uh, my game that I've chosen is a uh, Pathfinder, the role-playing game, published in 2009 by Paizo Publishing, designed by Jason Bulma. Bulman. Bulman. I'm going to quote from some websites that I found. Uh, it extends and modifies the revised third edition D&D. What many people Dungeons know is 3.5. Yes. Uh, game rules established by Wizards of the Coast under the Open Game License. Pathfinder RPG is intended to be a backwards compatible with Dungeons and Dragons edition 3.5. What does that mean, backwards compatible? You can take your 3.5 books and you can play them with your Pathfinder books, in theory. And you can, you absolutely can. It's yes. There are tons of people who have number crunched the little tweaks online. Yeah, correct. Them. Well, that's <laughs> why I said in theory. Yes. Pathfinder overall represents much like Davy said, 3.5 of D&D. Very specifically, this means something special. Dungeons and Dragons, like... Some role-playing games go, go through many additions in ways that they want to change the rules and change the core mechanics of how things work, from character creation to the number crunching of how, how monsters work in the back end of it. So D&D by Wizards of the Coast creates new systems every four or so years. They are now on their eighth edition of... No, sorry, that's Warhammer. Fifth edition of <laughs> D&D. Sorry. Good lord, so I missed many so many of them. It's fine. <laughs> they were on fifth edition of D&D. Fifth edition D&D. And so because Sixth D&D started in the... 
Hella long ago. In the 70s. 70s. Stone 70s. Age, yes. That means we haven't been getting a new edition every five years or so. No, it, it's, it's a long fi- period of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there just wasn't a big gap between four and five, I four think. Four was not very well received. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no one really liked it. Partially because uh, 3.5 was relatively well received, so much that not only was Pathfinder spawned off of it, a few other systems in such a way were as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 3.5 was hailed as one of the most number crunchy systems available uh-huh allowing for what my favorite part of this is so many many options that you can have in pathfinder the number of class and uh, ca- uh race combinations available for a player to be are excessively large there yeah. is a massive number of options you can choose from it's so customizable it's mind-blowingly bone crushingly <laughs> customizable yeah soul depravingly customizable yeah. you can get lost for days and yeah. days and days potentially maliciously <laughs> customizable oh yes <laughs> they had it out from us from the start yeah Lizo. yeah curse you so uh, i'm gonna read a small excerpt from here many role-playing games do you have any idea where you pulled this excerpt from do you want to attribute is, that uh the first one i found on their website this is uh, a pathfinder, pathfinder website, website. Okay. for specifically the paizo website for their okay. pathfinder section that was my quote earlier this quote that I'm going to be pulling was from a Pathfinder wiki, the Pathfinder okay. wiki, it, not specific, specifically not like where you find information about the game system, but their published material. Right. There are many Wikipedia pages about this game. This is specifically about the setting that is imposed upon you when you're playing in their fantasy realm. You do not require to play in this, but all of their adventure modules are in such a land in the way that you could play a role-playing game in the Tolkien-esque world of Lord of the Rings. This is their setting. From the crumbling spires of the ancient rune lords in distant Verisaya to the bustling merchant kingdoms of the inner sea, the Pathfinder campaign setting forms a panoramic background for Paizo Publishing's innovative Pathfinder fantasy role-playing supplements, modules, and adventure paths. All of their books, including which are the most notable in this, the rune lords, as well as the inner sea books, Uh, are some of the most notable where they create an elaborate story where you can go through incredible daring acts. Uh, And are all these different locations like on the same plane? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's different than the way Dungeons and Dragons handles settings where they have vastly, vastly different... Planes. Planes, Planes. yeah, that are connected through a planar system. You know, it's no coincidence that, you know, Magic, Wizards of the Coast owns it. They feel similar-ish at times because like... D&D also kind of has a multiverse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, it totally does. Yes. yes. I believe in this case... One of them has spaceships. Oh, yeah. No, correct, but like they, they, <laughs> they don't try to call it a multiverse because that's magic's thing. Yeah. Sure. But like it's a multiverse. Mm-hmm. So my first ever introduction to role-playing games in a playing setting was with Davey, like many of my game firsts are. Um, I like to be people's first. <laughs> um... You could not have made that sound more creepy. <laughs> I think I, that I, was the goal. What? Wow. Jeez. <laughs> just, I'm just getting shot at here. Wow. So uh, my first ever interaction with this was uh, with me, Davey, several other friends, and I got to like... It was too big. It was too big. There were too, big. too many who, people. Who was running it? Davey. Like, <laughs> uh. Because I, I... It was cool because this was like right before D&D, like... Maybe it was two years before D&D was really going to hit the mainstream, like main mainstream. But it was already enough where, like, people were starting to get curious. So when I said, like, hey, Rob, Matan, and Anna, you know, let's do a and d thing. And then immediately, and this this isn't a slight on any of the people that also, like, jumped in on this, but suddenly it was Katie, Katie's boyfriend, Joe. Right. Sam. Matthias. Sam's boyfriend. Matthias. Matthias. <laughs> and I was like, we now have a seven or eight person campaign. Yeah. This is out of control. <laughs> and I feel like this is a problem for a lot of groups that start up is like a lot of people are interested and no one can really commit. Yes. And, it was, <laughs> and then it was eight people and all of them had never played before except me. Ooh, yeah. So yeah. it was like, it was literally eight brand new players. <laughs> and my mistake too was like, let's start with Pathfinder. It's yeah. Just a mind <laughs> right. 
And let's do just an open sandbox style. Oh, yeah. Which I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I figured from your description of what you like. So you're just yeah. doing character driven. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was a campaign, though. It, yeah, it was great. Like, I had, had like two or three sessions. And I had wanted to play like a, a Dungeons and Dragons role playing game for years. And I couldn't get any of my friends to start with me because no one knew how to dungeon master. Mm-hmm. And it was very important to me. My, my favorite memory, actually, of that story is the probably three or four months after where we weren't playing and you just absorbed the PSFRD. Oh, yes. Like, uh, all of it. So, for those unaware, the Pathfinder Society role-playing Sorry, system. PFSRD. PFSRD. Uh, Paizo has allowed all of their information from every single source they have ever printed to be put online, which is mm. how, Davey says, I absorbed a considerably large you amount just of plugged your brain well, right Rob, into the oh, internet. Yeah. that all new RPG players do, which is cool. Like, I feel like every week he had built another character oh, and just told oh, me about yeah, it. Totally. And I was just like, I didn't even know that was a class. And he was just like, <laughs> yes, and this is part of the PFSRD. And it's like, yeah. Jesus. And they are always making new material. In fact, I believe Pathfinder 2.0 is going to be coming out. It's on the way. I've, I've, you know, I'm already putting in numbers with distributors. Sweet. Well, yeah, because they're, they're actually, they're printing the beta. Oh, sweet. Yeah, they're printing and selling the beta. Oh, right. Yeah, I heard that. And they're going to be like, you can play test it. That's kind of cool. Yeah. What what are they just calling it? Second edition? Pathfinder. Pathfinder 2.0, the beta. And then Pathfinder 2.0 will probably come out after as a hardcover as well. But I thought that was like an interesting thing. But yes, yeah, yeah, 2.0 on the Uh, way. So my one downfall of this initially is that there are too many options available. As we stated before, me and my friends got very over our heads and got very too much stuff. I spent yeah. too much time. Oh, during my job I had at this time, which was to pick things up and put things down at a gym, I spent a considerable amount of time just going through all of my options. Yeah, I think <laughs> you you have to have, I don't know, I don't want to say have to anything, but in order to simplify that and make it more digestible, I think, you know, it would be beneficial at least for a group to agree on like, okay, this is our theme, this is our tone, etc. But the the game mechanics don't push you to do that at no. all. So I you mean, could have like a witch hunter and a gunslinger yeah, and yeah. a pirate and whatever. And a paladin. You're like, how do you The better together? advice is when you start for your first Pathfinder game, do not open the PFSRD. Yeah, no. Pretend no. it doesn't exist. Take the core rulebook and that's it. Just right. like you would for D&D, which is totally reasonable. And Pathfinder did that on purpose. The core rulebook is totally playable on its own. Right. It's only just so cool because Pathfinder has been around for so long and, can, and has absorbed 3.5 is that once you grasp the core rulebook and you're ready to go, it's limitless options. You know, it's yeah. kind of funny because I was just editing our deck building episode. Yeah. And the pros and cons of this are really similar to the pros and cons of ascension oh, oh yeah other because deck building episode what? you should go listen to it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um which is interesting because this is like one of your favorite rpgs right yes, and absolutely. that's With a like similar issue almost yeah, definitely okay. your, yeah so that's just an interesting sign of what you like like you really like that customizability oh yeah but you and like the the variance and variety but it creates um, an accessibility but, issue for the new player oh which absolutely Rob and and yeah. issues for veteran players as well or experienced players as we describe yeah. them in our intro because like as you say here in the notes yeah. busted options and combinations oh, right yes. which like if you have a Pathfinder character that's just like yeah you know godlike then yeah. the game becomes a lot less fun you well the, and the, there's the balance that you need a good gm which like for pathfinder sure. i don't look to break it so i'm not a good gm for a high level pathfinder campaign you know pathfinder is breakable but the same way they give the tools to the gm to just also throw absurd things at the players right sure. but then it comes down to if one person in the group is not on the same page as the others as Correct. far as right. is concerned it makes a broken character they're rolling like 25 damage on their dice on Game day one, level zero, and you're like, I hit for two with my bow. But you know what? My Which I guess it. Go ahead. My very, very good friend Mike, and this isn't just a notion for, uh, or a, a word of advice for Pathfinder, it's a word of advice for any RPG where you want to level the playing field. Meta puzzles. You, you want to take away all the characters, like super buffs they've given themselves, and put everyone on a level playing field. You give them a good old meta puzzle. Uh, which right. is essentially just a puzzle that isn't asking for them to roll in game, but actually asking the player to think and solve. Essentially, what would we think of as a riddle? Right. 
a good meta puzzle for any system levels the playing field right up. Yeah. I do want to go back to what Rob said about all the players being on the same page, though. Yeah. Because I think that's something that in any RPG is so important to make sure you have a positive play experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. we don't worry too much about consent in board games because there's a clearly defined set of rules and there's not much you can do outside of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so important for everyone to be down with what's happening. Um, And that can be, you know, small things like, it's not going to be fun for me if you have such an overpowered character. Yeah. Those aren't the kind of stories I want to tell yeah. to like larger issues as well. Yeah. What you bring to the table is just as important as the system. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do we want to move on to Courtney's RPG? Yeah. Do we have any that. other likes and dislikes we want to cover for Pathfinder? I was able to kind of cover it with Rob. I think we covered a lot of the dislikes and likes that I had about the game. Overall, I'm pretty positive about it. My only real downsides are the this gate of immense. Yeah, <laughs> and I would say on top of that, like if you don't mind me adding yeah, another no. a personal dislike, yeah, um, that's fine. It's not only excessive in terms of character options, but also your statistics. Oh yeah, um, no, you man. have like. 20 plus different statistics that you have to figure out yes. what your modifiers are for that. I think you're referring to skills in this case. Yeah, I guess skills. Yeah. What I mean is skills. Cause you still only, you, you only have um, five, like six, attributes. six. the six, six attributes, five. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Um, but five, yeah, six. you have like yeah, six multiple yeah, knowledge. You have like so, so many yes. that might you not even ever come up. Ranks. You have like a separate thing for swimming. Um, <laughs> so and for me, I, it's just not what I'm interested in. I, I really, I, I like games where you can make a character super quickly. Mm-hmm. I can see the benefit of that. If you're playing a game across multiple years you know? Yeah. Because on the scale of that, I don't mind stopping to do a little bit of paperwork every now and then. Sure. But like, if I'm going to play a game for a total of six hours, I don't want to spend the first hour <laughs> yeah, of that it's, figuring it's, out my it's character. It's a horrible one-shot system. Oh, it's terrible. But what I what I will say, and this is a thing that I, you know, for people who've already played D&D who might be listening to this and asking what's very different about Pathfinder for just D&D 3.5, if they didn't play D&D 3.5, 3.5 was made by this giant skill list. Yes. Um, And the thing that's so cool about that is it Whereas 5e, for better and worse, simplified that. It, you know, it took a skill that, you know, it's like they combined, like, lockpicking, pickpocketing, and, you know, moving stealth onto one thing that might have, you know, let's say we call thievery or whatever. Yes. But, like, in reality, if I know how to pick a lock, that doesn't mean I'm able to pick a pocket, and I might not be sneaky at all when moving around. These are three very different skills, kind of working with different dexterities. And that's what I See, appreciate. in my mind, I'm like, if you know how to pick a lock, I'm not even going to make you roll for it. You just do it. Yeah. But, but some I'd lock, rather play a game like what, that. I know, yeah. but some locks are more difficult. Like, And that's the thing is, you sure. can, and that's why the take 10 rule exists on uh, in Pathfinder. Pathfinder and D&D. Yeah. Where right. it's like, oh, this is just a basic lock, I take 10, I just pick it. And the DM goes, okay. But like, you might go, well, I take 10. And the DM's like, yeah, and you don't figure it out. And he's like, oh, this is a lock lock. But like, <laughs> I, I I liked that thing about the skill list because for- Do you want to explain what take 10 is for people who might not be- Take 10, normally you roll that. a d20 for skill checks. But when you take 10, you're just saying, I just roll a 10, which is the average roll, which is essentially the way like you were just saying of you just say the- the person would pick it if you were GMing. That's the way the player can kind of also gauge. That was not what I thought that meant. No? No. I What I thought it meant was your character spends 10, ten minutes, minutes doing, doing this. No. 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 You just took a 10 on. I mean, you didn't roll and you got the average roll. You got your average it. roll and applied your skill. So for things yeah. that look of average difficulty, or at least of what your character's average difficulty would be, you're able to just be like, yeah, it's, it's a fucking lock. I, I, I'm, a, so, I'm a pickpocket, lockpicking, sneaking rogue master. <laughs> but I'm also a halfling, so can someone lift me up to this lock? <laughs> that seems mechanically so weird for to me but yeah. i'm i'm i'll go with it uh, yeah um but so the the thing that i always found you know for people who like their character building to give a lot of their background as you two were talking about before this skill is helps give a lot of that because when you're building your character you can say oh 
what these are skills that I already know before the cameras. They're not things I'm going to learn. And you can almost come up with like, oh, why are you a good lockpick? You put, took like five points. And it's like, well, my daddy taught me to lockpick. Like, that's why I'm so good at it. Yeah. He was a thief. And that's why I'm also good at sneaking. So why aren't you good at pickpocketing? He didn't believe in pickpocketing people. He stole from like kingdoms and stuff because, the, you know, like you'd be like a rob character. Like, yeah. You're suddenly <laughs> using this skill thing to sure. define a background. And I think that is very cool for the people who like to give their backgrounds through their character creation. It definitely like if you are into stats, you're yeah. going to be real no, into it. Oh, for yeah. sure. You got to want to love charts. Um, yeah. For me personally, like, I don't know. I, I can get really into that in video game RPGs and stuff, like yeah. like Fire Emblem or whatever. Sure. But all of that gets calculated for you in like a split second. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no. it's just in RPGs, not a way I want to spend my time generally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do we want to move on to your RPG? Your yeah, RPG? sure. Your RPG? I'm going to be talking about Blades in the Dark by John Harper. This is released by Evil Hat Productions. And because of some production sort of irregularities or anomalies, unusual production process, we'll say, I'm going to say this game was released between 2015 and 2017. To be clear. And I'll get to that at the end. A one-shot RPG about trying to find a knife in the dark? Yes. Just like it's pitch black, there's a knife somewhere. That sounds more like a LARP. Blades in the dark. Yeah. (laughs) No, but then everyone has a blade in the dark and you have to go find each other using only the blades. Okay. See, I'm picturing more like you have a dark room and somewhere in there, there is a knife. Yeah. And no. you have to find it. Yeah, it's like a reality show. So everyone yeah. outside just sees like the green, like A reality screen. show. In other words, live action role play. Yeah, <laughs> correct. And, and everyone's just trying to find this blade in the dark, which is why it's B-L-A-D-E-S with an apostrophe in it. There's yeah. blades. The blades yeah, in the yeah, dark. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. <laughs> None of that is true. None of it. Uh, the the actual this game RPG. Sucks. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Not this game. That no, theoretical game. That theoretical game is terrible, but let's hear about this game. In Blades in the Dark, you play a crew of daring scoundrels seeking their fortunes on the haunted streets of an industrial fantasy city called Doskfall. Unlike Pathfinder or Dungeons and Dragons, which use dice with you know, all kinds of different shapes and numbers on them. Yeah. Mostly 20-sided dice, also known as D20. Or what we all know as the polyhedral seven. Yeah, seven different kinds of dice. Blades in the Dark only uses six-sided dice, which are, you know, the typical dice you're used to seeing, sometimes referred to as a D6. So in this game, your attributes, like um, your skills, essentially, how sneaky you are, how strong you are, are going to determine how many dice you roll and then the highest die you roll is the result. Something interesting, your situation also contributes to how effective you are. For example, let's say you're drowning and someone is coming, is is next to you in a boat, but sure. they don't want to take you out of the ocean or whatever. Sure. Because they hate you. Obviously. Right? So if you, if you say, <laughs> so I take out my knife and I cut him... <laughs> that's not going to be very effective in that situation (laughs) um so i don't know what what i like about this is it's very it's very story driven the way that every skill role works so so for each skill role the first thing that happens is the player sets their goal so they have to actually vocalize what they want to accomplish Mm -hmm. um which doesn't always happen in rpgs and i think is super helpful next thing they choose their action rating so they decide how they're going to go about it i'm gonna stab them i'm gonna sneak across the courtyard etc the next thing that happens the gm sets the position and the effect level gm in this case standing for game master they determine if the position is controlled risky or desperate so how in control are you are you of the situation Similar essentially? To setting a DC. Yeah, in yeah. This case. Yeah, exactly. Or what would be called a difficulty a check. A difficulty We're using check. Using a lot of like abbreviations um, here, I just realized. But <laughs> RPGs have a lot of them. But it's more based on your whole environment. Sure. You know? So I guess, I guess a DC would too. So your effect level is basically how effective that action is going to be in this situation. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so in your unlocking a lock example, you know, if you're trying to get through a door, you could do it maybe um, 
by by picking the lock. You could do it by smashing the door down. Um, you could knock. Your prop. You could. Eh, I'm not going to make you roll for knocking, Robert. Um, but if you're going to try to charm the door, that's. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you a limited effect level on that. You know, and and then depending on how close your enemies are, it might even be desperate. You might be in a desperate scheme to charm the door, and I know you have a sentient door story. It's, it's just, um, it's like the best door puzzle, and, and charming, it's the only way through. I have a very charming story about that. We can go over that's I, neither here It's not there. important for this. <laughs> it's such a good story, though. Yeah. It's just funny that you had to charm the door, and it's like, that yeah. is like the yeah. best way to get I was, the door. I was totally thinking of that story, too. Um, so once the GM sets the position and the effect... You add bonus dice and you roll and resolve. So then depending on the position, you're consulting like an entirely different thing. So if you fail, the results are going to be a lot more dire if you're in a desperate situation and a lot less significant if you're in control of the situation. Some other things relevant to this that work a little bit differently in addition to having individual character playbooks, which are essentially um, all have a piece of paper with all the information on your character, you also have a crew playbook because, you know, you're playing like a crew of criminals, essentially. So you have a type of crew that you are. You might be thieves. You might be assassins. You might be selling contraband. You might be a cult. Um, and <laughs> Pizza delivery you... men? No, that's not one of them. Sorry. Um, and then that crew playbook has ways that it can essentially level up as well as you oh, gain sweet. territory. So maybe oh. now you have a garage and you have a cart. Maybe now you have a hideout that you could sleep at. Maybe you have more social connections, like you're friends with some of the cops or whatever. So I really like that aspect as well because it has this built-in collaboration mechanism um yeah. which is something that can be a struggle in other rpgs are we working together or do we each have our own agenda and in this one at least we know the answer to that question most of the time yeah <laughs> so there are three distinct phases of gameplay that you move in between so this is a rotation that that you go through throughout the game. So there's this built-in structure that you have to follow. During your free play, you might be exploring some of those individual uh, character plot threads. You might also be gathering information for your next score. We decided we're gonna rob the Red Lantern. So we want to try to bribe one of their guards to give us a map of their hideout. So you could do that during the free play. Then as you're going into a score, you start by uh, making an engagement roll that determines your starting position. And that's informed basically by how much do you know? And then downtime is basically resolving the score afterwards. What did you gain? Um, like what loot did you get? Did you get heat? And erasing character stress, which is basically like stress and trauma are kind of like a health mechanic alongside your actual physical health. I know I'm getting into this a lot. <laughs> I really, really like this system. Sure. It's, just, it's also, uh, it might be a first for this podcast, but you are talking about a game that both Rob and I have never played. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So some things that are really cool about this, uh, the way that you establish a score, and also the fact that you're allowed to do flashbacks while you're in a score uh, it's all designed to minimize the planning process because this is something that can bring RPG games uh, to like a grinding halt sometimes mm -hmm. when you want to do something as a team and you end up sitting there for an hour trying to figure out as a group out of character how we're going to approach it. And this was something to me that sounds the coolest about Blades in the Dark. That flashback mechanic sounds super cool and is probably it's the really thing awesome. I'm most excited to actually play with when I try this game out. It's really awesome. Basically, the way that it works, if you are in the score, let's say you're trying to make your way through the sewer system and you say okay i want to do a flashback to when i bribed a city clerk to give me a map of the sewer system so the gm determines how easy that opportunity would have been essentially i think it's like zero to three or zero to four do you, do and that's the, the 
Yeah, you can. Okay. Um, and that's the amount of stress that you get for that. Is that like um, a like an oceans kind of flashback? Scene? Yeah, yeah, that exactly. Is so cool. Exactly. So it's. I mean, this game does so well. What I was talking about at the top of the show of having the mechanisms match to the theme. Like it really feels like you are in the middle of a heist when you're doing it. Yeah. And you know, in the case of the city clerk flashback, if it's not something especially interesting. Maybe you don't play out that scene and you just continue. But if the city clerk is, you know, your brother's girlfriend and, you know, there maybe there's some kind of weird plot twist, and, maybe and, you do play and it the out. brother are twins, so like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You like gave her a kiss and then slipped in thing you're in trouble with your brother later. But you got yeah, the map. <laughs> exactly. So depending on how easy it would have been, you gain some stress relevant to, to that task. That's basically what keeps it from being, you know, just stupidly overpowered or whatever, because you don't want to get too much stress. Sure. Um, much like in real life. Yeah. So I really like stress. that it totally eliminates that out of character planning, essentially, at the table. Like, I've never gotten caught up in that while playing Blades. I also really like it has this built-in structure and it has a lot of other stuff like resources in the book itself that are such amazing GM sure. resources and references. And this is a game that's really good as a one-shot as well. Um, by which I mean a game that you just play for one session and then don't return to it. So I love that it has that built-in structure. You know that the crew already knows each other. It's very easy to make a character in probably like 20 to 30 minutes. And I think it has a lot of awesome resources. So as you could probably tell, this is my favorite RPG of all time. In terms of my personal experience, the first campaign I ever played was Blades in the Dark. Sweet. And nothing has lived up to it <laughs> since then. It's all um, downhill from here. Seriously, I just, I've played a lot of other systems since then. And... I've played a smaller but not insignificant amount over multiple sessions, and this is just, it's, nothing else even comes close. I think it's just a really, really great system for, for my personal likes. And the, the campaign that I did wasn't even, it wasn't a very long-term campaign. I think we maybe met for like six sessions at the most, but yeah, so... Kind of hard to have discussion points here no, because you two haven't played it. I still really want to run it for you guys. And I have some sort of pros and cons and likes and dislikes listed out here. Go for it. Yeah, rock them. There are pros and cons to it having this very specific setting. Yeah. Like you talked about in Pathfinder, there are a couple different settings you can do. Like a more rural setting you can do within a city or whatever. Sure. Like this is, you're in Doskfall. Yeah. Period. End of sentence. Yeah. That's what the book is. So the pros of that are that the book has amazingly detailed information, which isn't that unusual, but usually in another RPG, you might have to go to some supplementary material for that. Like yeah. they might release a book just on the setting or whatever. The book has really specific info like businesses and notable people for every neighborhood. But um, a savvy GM could just make that up. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. But yeah. that's part of what makes it so good for for one shots. Sure. And I'd say in general, like you can be as savvy of a GM as you want, but if you don't have the physical time to put into prepping that, yeah. um, or if you don't have the skill and think on your feetedness <laughs> to uh to make it up on the spot, then you know, having something like this is really helpful. Sure. And it's also just a really interesting setting that yeah. I'm super into. Um, yeah, it sounds really cool. Yeah, it draws inspiration from a lot of different source material, including a book series I really like, the Gentleman Bastard series, especially the first book, The Lies of Locke Lamora. Some people who are listening are going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I know you no. two don't, but it's fine. So the cons of that, obviously, are just that the system is not as flexible as it could be. As I mentioned up top, it was kind of released over the course of two years, and in some ways, it's still releasing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, the Kickstarter was run in 2015, and the, the physical book was published in 2016. 
between that time, like they released a PDF, like a beta PDF, essentially to the Kickstarter backers really like within a year, if not less of when they succeeded the Kickstarter. So it was sort of very publicly in development for a long time. Yeah. And it actually, it won awards in 2015 and 2016 (laughs) before it had technically been published. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So kind of an unusual process there. And I think there are pros and cons to that kind of development as well. You know, it's a lot of input you're getting and there are pros and cons to that. Yeah. So this particular Kickstarter had some stretch goals. So stretch goals in a Kickstarter is like if they make a certain amount of money, usually beyond what they're trying to spend. They'll add stuff on. Exactly. They add extra content that they're going to send you. So this and this is something that's only come up in the past couple days, really. There's been some extra sort of uh, chatter about this on the internet and stuff. Um, on the dark web, there's not chatter. On the, not, on the, <laughs> not on the dark web. Um, so one of the major stretch goals was a bunch of reskins of the system. So basically the system in different settings. Uh, um, one of which is like a fantasy setting. And I don't know as much about the other ones. I didn't back this project on Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sure. even know about it. I wasn't even playing RPGs then really. So right now, I think like, one of those has been delivered and it was kind of like creators volunteered their time which means that they're not being paid for it that is what volunteer means yeah Yeah, totally totally but there are some people being like look this is a thing that was promised by the state and it's not here and Mm -hmm. why aren't you paying people to do this and it's like well they kind of volunteered to do this because they were interested and they wanted to support the system and whatever so we're not really sure like are those still coming are they just going to be available to kickstarter backers are they going to be actually a real published thing we don't really know yeah but i do think that the creator john harper has handled that really well he has like publicly said look i this was my first Kickstarter. I definitely made some mistakes and this is what we're trying to do on it right now. So it's not something I have like personal beef with or whatever. But you, I c- you and John could still hang out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would hang out with him whenever. But I can definitely understand some of the frustration there. Yeah. Cool. So are we ready? Did For DCC? Strap in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, now that I've talked for like 20 straight minutes yeah. without interruption. <laughs> Correct. Can I have my soda? <laughs> yeah. You are all ruining the intro to my section. So, my RPG of choice is Dungeon Crawl Classics, the role-playing game, or DCC RPG. It's by Goodman Games. It was originally came out in 2003, but as a module for D&D 3rd edition so it right. didn't have its own books because Rob I think the you talked about the open source yes. what was right. the open what source um, open believe. source license yes. the open source license was very popular during 3rd edition or open game license yeah maybe. open game license to create the open new game modules li- for them. license was super relevant during 3rd edition because wizards essentially said here's our rule set everyone has permission to use it to create more modules because wizards was just like People are going to create modules, but no matter what, because the way people made these modules was essentially that all said, you need the D&D core rulebook to right. still make sense of any of this. Just to make sure that our, our listeners are aware, we we know the word module. Can uh, we just say what module is uh, in this case? For well, I'll, I'll get there. Sure. Um, okay. Essentially, so, and this is part of the open uh, game license, but Wizard said, what if we essentially gave everyone of the base rules to our system and then let them create modules for it? And module being a new setting with sometimes tweaks on the rules. So uh, essentially their own And worlds. like an adventure, not just a setting. Correct. Oh, yeah. A full adventure. A setting, adventure, and tweaks on the rules. And this was a smart, because originally people were like, well, you don't do that. You hold on to your patents. But what happened was people, because no one wants to rewrite the core rulebook, would just put in the beginning of their module, you need the Dungeons and Dragons core rulebook to right. play this. Yes. And wizards were like, great, we're just going to sell a million core rule books oh, they did. than we already would. <laughs> uh, and and they didn't have to hire and pay people to exactly. produce oh, yeah. those supplemental materials. Correct. It was all outside people. And that's how Pathfinder came to be, and it's how the original DCC stuff came to be. But 
at uh, 2012. Third edition was long over. Fourth edition was being crap. And <laughs> Goodman Games was like, we're going to set out on our own. And we're going to take this DCC system and we're going to put an RPG at the end of it. Because it's going to be the Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG now. We're, we're going to make our own book. Woo! And I took from their site. And this is also from the beginning of all of their modules that they make for their own game now. Uh, a nice quote. I'll put some dramatic music behind this. Remember the good old days when adventurers were underground, NPCs were there to be killed, and the finale of every dungeon was the dragon on the 20th level? Those days are back. Dungeon Crawl Classics don't waste your time with long-winded speeches, weird campaign settings, or NPCs who aren't meant to be killed. Each adventure is 100% good, solid dungeon crawl. With the monsters you know, the traps you fear, and the secret doors you know are there somewhere. I love this RPG setting. It is 100% a dungeon crawl, but the thing that amazed me about it is despite being a dungeon crawl and not what you conventionally think is a fully open world or sandboxy RPG, uh, there is still just so much character development. Oh, yeah. And I found that it's because the character development is where it should be, not in the building process. And this is where I talked about in the beginning where we right. but in the play. Right. And that's because in this game, your character is randomly generated. You essentially start with your character's backstory. Like you actually play out your character's backstory. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing is you, your character is completely random to the point where they, Goodman games currently make scratch off characters. <laughs> the only thing you write in is your name. And then it's like a lotto thing. And I think that's what I get. So cool. No, they are so cool because yeah. you, you don't scratch it off until you need to make a check. Yeah. You, you can do that. They, they, you can scratch it off all before. I like making people not scratch it off till they. Yeah. Have I to love, check. I love that. idea Because in theory in everyone's head, they're the hero until they swing their sword and scratch off their strength stat. And they're like, oh, shit, I'm the <laughs> wizard. I'm not the hero. I need to. I, what am I doing? I'm in front of a troll. Um, <laughs> and those to me are the moments of cool character development, because the way DCC works is what's called every campaign begins with a thing called the funnel. Every person gets four characters and they randomly generate them. And I think this is so important because now the development of your characters the reason you're going to get attached to these characters and the reason these characters are going to grow is because of your experience with them. And to me, that makes so much more sense than you designing this character and feeling attached to them before you've ever played a single role, before you've ever played a single scene, said a single word. You have all this stuff built up in this character in your mind. But DCC goes, no, we're going to play that because you're going to start with level zero characters. They're going to be farmers and cave people and just fishermen and so one might be a blacksmith so maybe he knows his way around the sword but like your starting items are like your pet chicken and a pitchfork and this is and this is which is a that's thing. not your pet chicken that's lunch it's a thing you can get but that's the coolest thing is i some campaigns it was the it was indeed the the group's lunch and some they weren't sure if they could go into a room and they were like send the chicken <laughs> and chicken sets off a fire trap <laughs> And they're like, cool, we can still eat it later, but also <laughs> don't go in the room yet. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing is, it's where these characters can be creative because when you don't have spells and you don't have good weapons and your skills are crap, you have to solve <laughs> these things creatively. And eventually, you're going to get some magical items, these characters are going to level up, and the farmer is going to find out he was imbued with magical power long before he ever knew and he touches a magical item and it calls him out from within him. And now you're just like, I'm so invested now. Like I thought this was just Farmer Brown, but now this is like Radagast. The he's he's the brown mage. Like this is where he comes from. It's so cool. I will say something funny that one of the kids said because you know the funnel. Not all your characters come out the other side. No, oh, most they come of out even, in shreds. Most of them die. Most yeah. of them die. So you usually end up with one at the Sometimes end, which too. is the idea. Um, but explaining this to one of the kids at work, he was like, "But." With an actual funnel, everything comes out at the end. Yeah. Like, a funnel doesn't change anything. Um, so I was like, all right, picture it more like a funnel filled with spikes. Yeah, well, it's, it's <laughs> those funnels you'll see in, like, the butcher video, the, the, the butcher factory videos they make you watch to make you not eat meat, where there's just that grinding thing that all the animal carcasses are falling into, and what's coming out is not animal. Well, it's animal, but 
it's coming out on the other end, just like you told the kid. Right. Just, just not the same. Just not the same as it was before. Yeah. But someone slipped <laughs> through those cracks. The little chick. Oh, it's got depressing. Um, <laughs> but so the cool thing, though, about the funnels, again, is because you have four characters, there's a degree of expendability to these characters, which makes you want to take risks, which, again, is a thing that a lot of characters people are afraid to do when they've built their one character and are super attached to it. And it's almost out of character because if you build this giant adventurer with this awesome backstory and then you start, you're like, wait, I don't want to do this because I might die. It's like, that's not very adventurely. Whereas <laughs> in this, Farmer Brown's like, there it is, the tome. Now is my time. And he touches it and is incinerated. <laughs> and everyone's like, shit, it's a trap. Shit but happens. Like, on the flip side, sometimes, you know, you're in the campaign and he touches it and he gets imbued and like these are the moments that build the character and these are where the characters develop and somehow in dcc which is a game that generally reduces the open world availability and you don't unlike the description you don't kill every npc but you reduce a lot of times that you're necessarily talking to npcs you're a lot of times just talking with your party and stuff there's still so much character development packed into what you'd think is this plain dungeon crawl that would have almost no role-playing the flavor is there, and it's so good. Um, and that's the thing, is the funnel is the real hero's story, whereas in most cases, when you play Pathfinder or any of the other games, you've missed the hero story. The yeah. hero story already happened. They're a hero. Now they're just going out on adventures as a hero. DCC is the hero story. Level 0 through 5 is like the creation of the hero, and that's the time to get attached to your characters and man i i had such weird feelings because i used to be a person who really fell in love with my character during character creation and i was like well dcc is gonna suck and i played it and i was like i was wrong character creation lies in the funnel playing characters that are terrible (laughs) because (laughs) then when i slay that giant it's gonna mean even more it's gonna be so cool because i tripped and my sword flew out of my hand and it went through his eye and he fell forward because I crit. And, <laughs> like, it's great. It's also kind of, like, shows that you might have your class preferences or whatever, but most people are going to have a lot of fun no matter what they're yeah. playing. Yeah. And it's more reflective of real life. We don't get to choose what kind of stuff we're no, born no, with or whatever. <laughs> so you, you get you what you no get and life. it's going to be fun no matter what. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Very different from Pathfinder. Very <laughs> different from Pathfinder. Um, but so I, I think it's so cool. And the other thing that gets silly about this game is I, don't, I can't talk about DCs without it is the Zochi dice. Um, we talked also about, known as funky the, dice we talked the about funky dice we talked about the polyhedral seven and i'm going to go through them quickly just to give you an idea but there's seven die in classic D. there is in order the d4 the d6 the d8 the d10 the d percentile which is another d10 which is just a second d10 the d12 and the d20 seven dice dcc <laughs> you have the d2 which is just a coin or a flip of something, the D3, the D4, the D5, the D6, the D7, the D8, the D10, the D12, the D14, the D16, the D20, the D24, the D26, and the D30. That's a lot of D. It's a lot. <laughs> yes. And it is. There's a lot of it, and it's overwhelming at first. Oh, no, but you I'd find be overwhelmed. You're to accommodate it all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and the reason that. You're going to need a big dice tray. Yeah. You know, a very large dice tray to hold all that D. It takes up a lot of space. But the reason they're doing this is in D&D, you know, classically, you think of uh, in 5e when you get advantage, you roll a second D20 and you pick the highest. The way the Zuchi dice work is you move up and down this scale. When something's really hard, you drop from like a D20 to a D16. But when something's like maybe you're better at it or you get an advantage, the judge, because it's not GM, the judge will pass you a higher dice or and be like, here you go. Like you have a better chance. But that still keeps the system very swingy because there's still the number one on all of these dice and the number 24 on this dice. Right. And, you could end up anywhere in between because there's always this chance of failure. It's very cool and kind of unlike a lot of D&D things and what I normally dislike about things, where I, uh, RPGs where I say the GM isn't playing against you. The judge isn't really playing against you in DCC, but they 
kind of are in the degree where in uh, DCC, the dice are everything, and the judge must be kept honest. Yeah. I also think this game has some interesting competitive overtones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or maybe undertones. Yeah. I mean, they do actually have tournaments where you try uh-huh. to have your one character survive the longest. Uh-huh. And, yep. I mean, especially the funnel, I think there's a really fun competitive back You want to make it out with more of your characters. Exactly. Than <laughs> exactly. It's lighthearted. It's like, no, no, you go first, really. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and because of that, though, the game wants the chance to exist. The judge doesn't roll behind a GM screen. Everything in this game, judge dice or player dice, is rolled in front of everyone. So the player knows to a degree that the judge is keeping honest and that, you know, the campaign is going where it's going to go because the dice just take you there, which is cool. It's an idea that also as a GM that you have to learn to surrender an amount of creative control to this randomness, much as the players have to. And it's kind of cool because it puts the judge on an even footing with the players, which I think is really rad. Just such a cool game. And so the first time I saw it played was in our store. I'm going to give him a shout out. His name is Jeff. He's a Brooklyn DCC judge. Uh, he's I, I know he has his own podcast, I think, or has been on a podcast with other people. He does stuff for Goodman Games. Uh, he uh, works their booth at Gen Con. Great guy. Sessions. Super nice guy. Comes in, has a giant Dungeon Crawl Classics belt buckle yeah. uh, because they, they're judges. You sign up online, and if you run like public events and stuff, you uh, they send you goodies, which I think is sweet. But he comes in, he has this giant, threatening-looking DCC belt buckle, and I was like, oh, man, I, I don't know what this guy's playing because I didn't know about DCC. I was like, but he is clearly for real, and he walks yeah. in, he's like, I will take a large thing of Pellegrino because we sell Pellegrino at the store he work at, and he takes a large one because he's going to need to keep his throat, you know, moist and everything doesn't want to be parched while he's playing and he starts playing and the first character dies and i see him take out this stamp (laughs) and i'm like what's going on and he undoes it and he slams it down on their character and i was like i gotta see this and of course on the stamp it says it's got the dcc logo and it says you are dead and it says cause of death and leaves a line for the player to write it i was like that is so cool <laughs> it's very cool and the, it's it's and that's the thing is because there's these tournaments that you can go to at, like conventions that the players are left with a reward from it where it's just like you are dead cause of death and you can write you know yeah. this tournament on this date died by spike trap or whatever <laughs> oh it's just so cool and the other story um that i really like is this game has modules that are su- a lot of them it's it's and this is a negative which is cool, i can blend my negative into the story negative about this game is it's it's very heavy module driven yeah. because it's a dungeon crawl. And in turn, there's a lot of traps yeah. and that's man. It's puzzles, hard. A lot of it's, monsters. it's hard to create an open world. It's even harder to create lots of fucking puzzles. It's a lot harder. I think it's yeah. so many puzzles and monsters and shit. And so the, we the, live in the open world. We don't live in puzzles. Yeah. And so well, you can, open world like sandbox style exploration you can make up shit on the fly easily but then there's just like fine. i need a puzzle right now and you're like shit <laughs> yeah. um so the modules are important but my favorite one is frozen in time which has the people normally being cave people and uh spoiler skip here for a minute or two if you don't want any but the cave people there's an alien spaceship and the alien spaceship time travels and there's a room in the spaceship and in it are all these things, and you describe them kind of vaguely because your characters are all cave people. They're in the Ice Age. So you're like, there's a suit of something. It looks like clothing, but it's all hard metal, and they think you're talking about armor. And I believe it was Rob's oh, it was character. Me. It was 100 Walks me. up, and he's like, I'm gonna go put it on. I'm gonna have, like, steel armor in the oh, cave. Yeah. And he puts oh, his God. hands on it, and the arms of this suit of armor come alive and crushes character's head instantly and it starts going danger will robinson danger because it's a robot and cave people don't know what the fuck robots are and they're fighting the robot from lost in space in this time traveling puzzle and our friend cord runs towards what he can't tell what it is and he knocks out his force field area and picks up and pulls this little thingy on it and it shoots and he has a blaster and it gives him plus four dexterity because it's Han Solo's blaster and he always shoots first. And, <laughs> oh, it was just, it like, while playing a nerd 
game. It was just hitting all of your nostalgia factors. It's definitely like super self-aware and you can tell. And what it is, is like made by a bunch of dads who grew up oh, playing yeah. D&D. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's really good. The game, oh, it's but that, that room specifically for me and DCC is, it, it is always my favorite dungeon puzzle room because it is so magical. They, like even your history of, there's like a Greek phalanx shield in there. And oh, there's yeah. like Frederick the first, like nicely full plate armor. And it's so, like, they're pulling from so many different things to try to catch every player's interest. And it's it's so cool because as every player figures out what they picked up when Cord's like, wait, so it's a blaster. And I have positives to Dexy's. I'm like, yes. He's like, so I shoot first. And I was like, yes. Like, it's Han Solo's blaster. I was like, yes. And like, you just see players light up. And as this robot's going, Danger Will Robinson, Rob just has to be, it's the fucking Lost in Space robot. It's yeah. not a suit of armor. It's a robot. And, I don't it know. killed a lot of us. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Just, it, it killed like three of us, I think. It's my favorite DCC dungeon room, period. I think it's just so magical as players' faces light up as their characters are getting obliterated by this robot and they're scavenging for magical items. It's so cool. That's all my I gotta say on DCC. Go play it. Great game. You need the rule book, you need your Zochi dice. It's fantastic go. I do think we should talk about some likes and dislikes. Oh, yeah. No, there's no dislikes. <laughs> the system is perfect. Sorry, go on. Um, my initial dislike of this game was just that I, I just the opposite kind of player. I just felt I didn't feel like I connected to any of these characters. It didn't help that we didn't like continue playing. I'm sure if we yeah, we only had one session on that. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I might have cared more, and I definitely cared about that one character I had left at the end of the session. It is a good one shot system, though. I oh will yeah, say it was for that. oh yeah, Grounds doing doing a funnel is a really good way to spend a couple but, yeah, hours. Sure. Yeah, sure. If you don't have play enough, the connection doesn't happen. Yeah, I'll agree. Yeah, you need a connection. I'm also like, how much beyond level zero have the two of you played? Uh, I have gotten up to level two, two. Okay, because um, I've I've run uh, a lot of funnels with kids, um, and only once did we try to like go mm-hmm. beyond that and go up to level one. And the step up in complexity from zero to one, just in terms of the mechanisms that yeah. you need to know, is like really massive. Um. The funnel seems to me like a really simple pared down uh, kind of me- game mechanically, and it just felt totally different uh, of, at actual levels. 100% agree, and I think part of that is uh, a symptom of the funnel itself, because the funnel is so stripped down because your characters have nothing that it's much easier than almost all RPGs. They're right. so yeah. little. It's so kind of a different game. The acquisition of anything, any abilities, is suddenly like, I yeah. have abilities. Right. <laughs> like, but the book things. is also, the book is intensely long. Oh, and yeah. each spell has its own page. So if anyone is playing a spellcaster, like you can spend a lot of time flipping through that book. Uh, um, yeah. And book. each uh, class has like its own very specific set of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. It's a big book. I'll agree. I just, it's, it's so worth it. So no, I, I just, yeah. pros and cons. Yeah, I think you've, you've given a lot of likes that I totally agree with. Um, But for me, yeah. that was just something where I was like, oh, this is two different games. Yeah, definitely. And I really enjoy the funnel, not as much the higher level mm-hmm. play. One thing I want to say before <sighs> we get to game of, games of so the week. Ready. <laughs> and we, we are running over a little bit, so I want to say this really quickly. Um, But just that like, this might go without saying based on our conversation, but much like the episode we did about TCGs, LCGs, and CCGs or all whatever the, it was. Yeah, role-playing games is like a hobby in of itself. So needless to say, this is nothing close to a comprehensive overview of oh, this specific oh God, topic. No. <laughs> but there's so many RPGs. Yeah, we there's a ton three. of RPGs. There's, so there's a ton of different ways to play. It's it's almost like board games in that way, in that there's probably an RPG for everyone. So yeah, I just want to say if you have any interest in RPGs, this is like the tip of the iceberg, and you should totally you know explore more. It's a big, big you iceberg. have the access to the internet, it's uh, and yeah, I mean we wanted to include it here as you know it wouldn't be a comprehensive overview of the tabletop games hobby without at least mentioning rpgs but there is so much more to get Mm -hmm. into than what we have already uh covered and after this episode 
is released it'll actually be released after free rpg day which is like a national event at game stores yeah all across the nation you can walk in and get free modules from the yeah. stores uh, but this podcast won't help you get there on time because it'll have already happened when it well, comes out we can still and we'll, post we can on make facebook fun of all of you yeah, who we missed, it. You all <laughs> missed it well no here's what we can say is I hope some of our listeners enjoyed Free RPG Day yeah, this past yeah. weekend and got a chance to learn some fun new systems. I don't. <laughs> but you know what you do? You do want to move on to Games of the Week. I love Games, games of the, the week. week. Take me there. Take me there, Courtney. We're here. Oh, You're here. Am, am I going first? Or are we, we, no, no, no Rob's, Rob's going first. I'm going first. Before we end the episode, let's take a moment to talk about our games we're excited about this week. Rob, hit me. I'm so excited for Dragon Castle. It came out this year in 2017, less than a week ago. That was uh, last year. This bud. is 2018. <laughs> came out in 2018. Came out in 2018. My information is wrong. Uh, it came out in 2017. It was a Kickstarter game, so yeah. it only hit, recently hit mass distribution. Yeah. Uh, at the time of this recording, it came out a week ago for yes. mass distribution. <laughs> uh, this is by um, Palmar Hatch, uh, Luca Ricci. Uh, Lorenzo Silva, and published by Horrible Games. With the assistant of Simon Limited. Uh, this game is beautiful. Uh, it looks very similar-esque to, if any of you have seen Mahjong on a Windows 98. In oh, the yeah. Mahjong Solitaire. Mahjong yeah. Solitaire. Looks like that. Plays has some similar rules, but plays so interestingly where you're creating your own castle by deconstructing the castle of the dragon. Yeah, the center, center community castle that yeah. you just deconstruct while building your own. It's it's another abstract that fools me into liking it if you yeah. listen to our prior episode. It's I haven't heard pretty. anything about this. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I got a, so we got a store demo. I'll, I'll, I'll steal it home for one This is what happens night. when I stop working in yeah. a game store. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll steal it home for one night. It's a cool game. I'm out of the loop. Um, <laughs> so... I have built and am working on a Magic the Gathering cube. Magic has been your game of the week for like three episodes. Yeah, yeah I'm on. And we record it every other week, so that's six weeks. Yeah, I built a Magic the Gathering so cube. You, you people who are listening only uh, have to listen to this every, every one of you want. Just quickly, for people who don't know, a cube is essentially your own personalized set of cards that you assemble to draft. So you can draft for free whenever you want, and it can have all your favorite cards included. It's normally a 360-card cube for eight people. Uh, you can make it bigger and stuff and so on. You can always make it bigger. But you need 360 cards of the ones you want, and then basically answer on the side. It's a cool idea. It's a way that you can draft with your friends for free anytime you want once you've built it and actually put some, some love and care into it. I've been super excited about it. I've wanted a cube for a very long time. Over four or five years, I've probably wanted to build a cube. So finally doing it feels great. It'll be cool to finish up and work on. Uh, so my game of the week is Potion Explosion by Stefano Castelli, Andrea Crespi, and Lorenzo Silva. And that was released in 2015 by Horrible Games. With the ah. assistance of Simon Limited. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that uh, we were talking about such similar games Lorenzo this week. Lorenzo Silva, he's, he's, he's helping yeah, us really totally. good at this. So Potion Explosion really fun game it's got marbles it's got potions they have different effects a little bit of bejeweled yeah yeah, it's a little bejeweled inspired which was funny to me that you also mentioned like a uh cheesy computer game um so yeah i i hadn't played it before davy and i recently played it with my friend Susanna, and it was easy for us to play while still having like good conversation and all that and i really enjoyed it actually more than i thought that i would that's all for this episode thank you so much for listening and supporting our show if you'd like more details on the games discussed in this episode just check out the show notes where you can find all the games listed you can find us on facebook at hot games cast and you can also email us at hotgamescast at gmail.com We really do appreciate if you would take the time to rate and review the show wherever you are listening, help spread the word, and, uh, you know, if you're enjoying it, just share it with a friend. We really appreciate the support. Our theme music is by Matan Inchin, and cover art is by Stuart Crawford. We want to thank you guys for your contribution. And as always, (laughs) we hope it was as good for you as it was for us. (laughs) 